The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. The show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and today. The year is 1987. Episode 2, March through April. The pre-election stress. Why was he born so stupid? Why was he born at all? Why was he born? Excuse me, Home Secretary. Would you mind keeping your voice down, please? What was that? Pack? Nosh. It's by appointment. (laughs) I'm with the group. You say you will love me if I have to go. You'll be thinking of me. Somehow I will know. Someday when I'm lonely, wishing you weren't so far away, then I will remember things we said today. You say you'll be mine. In the beginning of March, the recently released first four Beatles CDs re entered the UK album charts. Please Please Me reaches number 32, With the Beatles reaches number 40, A Hard Day's Night reaches number 30, and Beatles for Sale makes number 45. On March 4th at Moore Park in Hertfordshire, England, Paul and Linda film a cameo appearance in a British black comedy titled Eat the Rich. Over in England on March 9th at Hog Hill Mill Studios in East Sussex, McCartney, accompanied only with a piano, records a demo of a new song with engineer John Jacobs. How many days will the wet weather I want to know, will the clouds, when they roll back, reveal a man in an old Mac, sitting on a park bench, living on his own? Cut to the rain as it runs down the glass. Eventually, through the lightning and thunder, we see a man going under. This is how it happened. This is what he said. He said, I don't need a 
The next day, March 10th, at Hog Hill Mill Studio, working again with engineer John Jacobs, McCartney worked on another new track. For this session, Paul invited session musician and composer Nick Glennie Smith to play keyboards, along with English guitarist Tim Renwick. Tim played with Al Stewart and recently toured with Pink Floyd. He also invited studio drummer Charlie Morgan, who played on a host of albums from such artists as... Elton John, Gary Moore, and Pete Townsend. I believe it. Something happened not so long ago. I know it isn't something I dreamed about. It's real. So real. When she looks into his eyes, Tumbling down Love come tumbling 
following days, March 11th and 12th, at Hog Hill, retrieving an older tune, one that was offered for the films Santa Claus the Movie and The Princess Bride, although both were rejected, McCartney began the session. Paul used the same musicians from the previous days, with the exception of drummer Charlie Morgan, who had a prior commitment, and thus was replaced by Henry Spinetti. The band recorded the basic track. saxophone solo was played by jazz musician Stan Saltzman. Stan also played sax for McCartney on the film Give My Regards to Broad Street, as well as Paul's LP, Press to Play. 
The producer on these sessions was Phil Ramone. Phil loved producing the melodic tunes that Paul delivered, but Paul was not satisfied with keeping the status quo. On March 20th, McCartney asked Phil to produce a more contemporary-sounding dance number. Phil reluctantly agreed. Working with Phil Pickett of Boy George's band Culture Club and percussionist Louis Jardin, they came up with a Latin-style dance number. I'm still working on it. So here's a little bit of Atlantic Ocean. Stolen black man made a slave, tossed upon the ocean wave. Don't forget the life he gave. Feel the rhythm of the Atlantic Ocean. Feel the rhythm of the Atlantic Ocean. Feel the rhythm of the Atlantic Ocean. Feel the rhythm of the Atlantic Ocean.
Meanwhile, at the Grosvenor House in London, Entertainment Tonight puts on the hits and blitz for Monday, March 23rd, 1987. Hello, everybody. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Taking a break from Harrison's recording sessions, George and Jeff Lynn attend the British Academy of Film and Television Awards. Former Beatle George Harrison was there in his role as movie producer. His handmade films brought us Mona Lisa. I'm really a musician, a sort of, sort of a musician, you know, occasionally I'm a musician, and this is like a hobby, really. It's our big award show, and I think the Grosvenor House have done a wonderful job tonight. I've enjoyed myself a lot. The winners included A Room with a View for Best Film. Best Director and Screenplay went to Woody Allen for Hannah and Her Sisters. Best Actor was Bob Hoskins for his role in Mona Lisa. I'm fighting your street walking. 
I always think that I'm going to lose, so I never... I just come for the party, really, to get drunk. You know, and if, if I get drunk and I get a prize as well, it's wonderful. Mona Lisa On March 23rd, CBS Records in both the UK and America released the charity single Let It Be by Ferry Aid. The release comes following the Zeebrugge disaster that happened on March 6th when the ferry, MS Herald of Free Enterprise, had capsized moments after leaving the Belgian port of Zeebrugge, killing 193 passengers and crew. In the tradition of Live Aid and Band-Aid, musicians have banded together again, this time to help the victims of the Zeebrugge Ferry disaster. The song they've recorded is an old Beatles tune, and it took cooperation from Michael Jackson and the former Beatles to make it happen. Joanna Lumley has the story in London. The record was made just one week after the ferry disaster. It was not an easy task to get all of these stars together, including Boy George and Paul McCartney. The biggest problem was getting permission to use the song. The former Beatles and Yoko Ono had to give the okay, as did Michael Jackson, who now owns the Beatles classic. And it was no mean feat of us all to get the permission, which it took us only about 12 hours to get. I mean, I think that is quite incredible to get, you know, four of the world's biggest pop stars of all time to agree to this one project. frontman Mark Knopfler added the legendary guitar solo, completing the record.
completely on his own he lost everybody and i mean i've never really lost any of my family so i you know and i know that i would be really horrified if i did On March 27th in America, the footwear manufacturer, Nike, begins running television commercials for their sneaker brand using the original 1968 Beatles recording of the song, Revolution. Do something. Anything. Nike using a Beatles song to sell sneakers angers Beatles fans around the world. There has been a great brouhaha over the Nike commercial that uh, features the Beatles' original version of Revolution. Mm. Um, where did you come out on that? George Harrison. I think uh, from what I can pick up from everybody, it's, uh, it's a big problem because, first of all, we have to try and safeguard the Beatles even though other people think they own our records and other people think they own our publishing and can sell them wherever they like, you know, there's certain things that, uh, you know, our records 
were only made to be sold as records. They weren't the Beatles. You know, you can't sell the Beatles to sell shoes. It's that simple. But, you know, it's maybe not even Nike's fault because they paid the record company for it. It's the record label's fault. Paul McCartney. I think the danger is it does devalue it. And I think even commercially, it's not that great a decision. But uh, anyone who knows music publishing, there's a lot of pressure on you to do that because it's a big heap of cash comes in suddenly and, you know, it's very hard to resist for anyone. But I, I think we shouldn't do that. George Harrison. So I think, and there's another problem too that I've here because now I find out that Yoko actually let him, she wanted him to do it. Yoko Ono said, John's songs should not be a part of a cult of glorified martyrdom. They should be enjoyed by kids today. They were going to use somebody else singing it, which would have been no problem. And there's not much recourse you have because Michael Jackson owns a lot of the early catalog. Apparently he does, yeah. Jackson was confronted with backlash in the press and also from Paul McCartney. The trouble is that we never did do commercials with the Beatles. We had lots of big offers from soft drinks companies, you know, to do stuff, obviously. But we always thought, no, it kind of spoils it. Just takes that little edge off it that people, people who like Beatles stuff kind of go, nowhere, man. And revolution. They kind of feel something for it, you know. And that was what we tried to do. That's what we were all about, was trying to resist all those commercial offers. A representative of Jackson later rebutted by saying, basically, Michael doesn't love doing advertising, but advertising is an art form these days, and it's a great way to expose wonderful old music to a new generation. My 15-year-old son hears music and TV commercials that he's never been exposed to before. In fact, that's the whole point. It's the responsibility of the publisher to make sure these songs don't die on the shelf. I don't really think we should do that. I think, uh, I think it's more sensible to leave the kind of legend intact. And I think, they'll, I think they'll do great, the songs. I think they'll continue to do great. Songs like Revolution didn't mean a pair of sneakers. It meant revolution. It was an idea that became important to some people. Unless we do something about it, every Beatles song that's ever been done is going to end up advertising, you know, braziers and pork pies and, you know, motor cars or whatever. And I think that the Beatles themselves, seen as we created the music and it's our records, I think we should be the ones to choose whether it's, you know, whether we want it. It's not being personal against Nike particularly, but you can see the problem if we don't do something about it it's going to go on forever every every tune we ever had is going to become some sort of advert the man in time magazine said you know and it took three seconds to turn john lennon into a jingle writer meanwhile back at hog hill mill studios Paul continued to record additional tracks with producer Phil Ramone. But for these sessions, McCartney played all the instruments, while Linda did vocal harmonies.
During these sessions, Paul recorded a song to celebrate the upcoming anniversary and the re-release of the 1967 Beatles album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Paul McCartney. I've just made a song recently that, um, I think it's because it's Sgt. Pepper's anniversary. Yeah. I think the natural thing for us guys, me, George and Ringo, is to think, oh, you know, it'd be great to have something like a Beatles kind of tune this year to kind of mark the celebrations.
I listened to mine the other night, and I thought, nah, it's not really a good idea looking back. It's, so I may not release mine. Friar Park Studios in Henley, George continues his recording sessions. What we did was uh, get the drum tracks down. I just played guitar and Jeff played bass. And then once we had all the drum tracks, I made 17 songs. And once we had the drum tracks, then we got rid of the drummers. And then Jeff and I just worked on them, put all the guitars, keyboards, and... Uh, you know, then Elton came in and played some piano. Eric came, played guitar. They just came one day. We had another day where we, we had a saxophone player and one day with a cello. We did uh, the drum tracks with Ringo and Jim Keltner and Jeff Lena myself basically, and Gary Wright was there for some of the early takes, but everything else is really just Jeff Lynn and myself, all the guitars, all the backing voices, the keyboards.
On April 24th at Hog Hill, McCartney worked on a track that had been around since 1973. Working with a much younger producer, Steve Lyon, all of 22, they recorded the following. Just anybody Help You know I need someone Help 
More Beatles news develops as the second phase of Beatles albums appear on store shelves in both the UK and US markets on April 30th. There are three compact discs to this phase, and once again, Capital issues the UK Parlophone releases, although this time they are in stereo. The CDs bring in the demand, and immediately the discs enter the top 100 UK album charts. Help climbs to number 66, with Rubber Soul reaching number 60, and Revolver, a precursor to Pepper, which is scheduled for a June release, reaches number 55. Over in London on May 1st, Paul McCartney announced his new business manager, a former British record executive named Richard Ogden.
As the 20th anniversary of the Beatles album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band grows closer, on May 7th in America, celebrity news magazine television show Entertainment Tonight on the ABC network runs a two-part feature on the album over consecutive nights. ago, June 2nd, 1967, that the Beatles released a record considered to be the most revolutionary album in the history of rock and roll, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. To coincide with the original release date, the Beatles album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, is released around the world on June 2nd on compact disc. Today is the 20th anniversary of the release of the Beatles LP Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, a record described by some critics as the album of the century. Today it was released on the modern version of an LP, a compact disc. £11.99 a time and 75000 sold before it's even in the shops. Paul McCartney. Well, I like it. I mean, I, I really like it as an album and um, I got it out a few... Uh, weeks ago, the album that is, and listened to it, <laughs> and it really sounded good to me, you know, it did sound, did sound fresh. In 1967, the Beatles were already the biggest thing pop music had ever seen. The Sgt. Pepper LP was simply the most original and ambitious of a whole string of hits. And it gathered its own mythology. The Paulie's Dead story, tales of rampant drug-taking as the LP was being made. Today, it's all history. The saddest fate for a pop song is being a museum piece. It was great fun, yeah. It wasn't like hard work. I don't do any kind of mad drugs parties, really. We were too busy recording it. It took five months to record. <laughs> and it wasn't because we were having drugs parties in between every session. But the LSD Sergeant Pepper was really about was pounds, shillings and pence. It's never been out of the shops and it's never stopped making money. A hundred million pounds since 1967. 
Then it cost £1.17 and six. Today it's £5.99, still selling after 30 million copies. And there's plenty more where that came from. Today's birthday party was about sales as much as celebrations as well. It was a special birthday bash for Sergeant Pepper, complete with a cake. Well, it was 20 years ago today here at the Abbey Road recording studios that Sergeant Pepper was born. One eminent critic described it as a decisive moment in the history of Western civilization. While the times have changed and so have many of the faces that adorned the famous album cover. One thing that hasn't changed though is the reception that Paul McCartney can attract even 20 years later. The maestro was greeted by a latter-day Beatlemania as he arrived for what was supposed to be a private party. They were relaunching Sgt Pepper on compact disc in the hope of returning it to the charts and helping it withstand the next 20 years. It stood the test of time already. As Paul puts it, the message hasn't changed. I mean, then we wanted an end to apartheid in South Africa, wanted to encourage peace on Earth, and we wanted some love and understanding between people everywhere. So now, what have we learned? If anything, the change comes slowly. Let's keep our faith and keep pushing and pray that we have better news to report 20 years from today. Thank you. Meanwhile, outside the studios waited those who remembered the heady days of flower power when the album hit the streets for the first time. Well, it was, it was the whole sound, and uh, each song was, you know, the lyrics and the music were so fantastic. That's what I can remember thinking at the time. It was something completely different. And I remember when it came out, I really didn't like it. It took me uh, maybe a year or so before I realized what it actually was. Sergeant Pepper left a lasting impression on someone else, too. Linda McCartney. I heard it in England when I was here, and I took it down to Traffic. Do you know Traffic, the group Stevie Winwood's Yay. second group? And I said, here, lads, listen to this. And they played it, and they went, oh, that takes care of our album. <laughs> the record company had invited the other two surviving members, George Harrison and Ringo Starr, but they couldn't make it. Invitations to John Lennon's widow and his son Julian were also declined. So it was left to just one of the Fab Four to cut Sergeant Pepper's birthday cake and share his memories. We weren't the start of peace and love. I mean, that's ridiculous to suggest. Or anti-apartheid feeling. But we continued it and we were able to get our message over. And a, I think there's a strong volume of people out there who still believe it. Oh, they may be a bit beaten down now, you know, because, I mean, it's tough to keep thinking all this stuff 20 years and not really get far. But I've, I'm optimistic. I hope in the next 20 years we'll be able to uh, come up with some better results for our kids. Will everyone be back here in their 60s saying <laughs> it was 40 years ago today? Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> with this record, the Beatles taught the world a whole new way to listen to music, and rock and roll hasn't been the same since.
By the time we came to make Sergeant Pepper, we were getting a lot more freedom, artistic freedom. So we started to uh, incorporate more uh, of the kind of crazy life that, that we were living at the time into the music. When you've seen beyond yourself, then you may find peace of mind is waiting there. And the time will come when you see gardens looking at trees <laughs> for years and years. That year did take about 50 years complete. The album re-entered the charts and reached number three in the UK Top 100. Now on Compact Disc. About a lucky man who made the grave. And though the news was rather sad, well, I just had to laugh. I saw the photograph. He blew his mind out in a car. And I went into a dream. Ah, 
I think that, that period felt special because there was a great upsurge of energy and consciousness and uh, because there was so much attention given to not just the Beatles but to everything that was taking place, all the changes that were happening with fashion and, and with filmmakers and um, poets and painters and the whole thing. It was like um, a sort of mini renaissance. And so there was a lot of excitement on the street. There was a lot of people who were all trying to go on the same trip together. Yes, absolutely. In fact, I've got to give you a little quote on that, if you like. What's that? Look. Is love all you need? I don't know, really. I don't know what you need, you know. I'm just some fella. Uh, and I, I haven't got any answers, you know, like, we're all just individuals. I don't think anyone's got the answer. Love rules the court, the camp, the grove, the men below, and saints above. For love is heaven, and heaven is love. I certainly believe that, and I'm sticking to it. Continuing in a moment... George returns to the stage. I don't want to get into this thing where I've been off the stage so long that I get frightened of the idea. Paul gives us all his best. Many of these are my favorites. And Ringo wishes upon a star. When you wish upon a star, your dream comes on yesterday and today. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. It was a little short this time, but Veronica needs a bit more time, so maybe when they get the longer time, we'll do a longer show. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Good night.
For more information or to contact the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at yesterdaypod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time. Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts Yesterday and Today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. Wow. (laughs) And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the shows. As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? (laughs) Don't worry, we will. (laughs) You can head to our social media pages, that's facebook.com slash yesterdayandtodaypodcast or facebook.com slash thirdmen or you could head to society Six dot com slash Kaminsky Family Podcast. That's society, the number six, dot com slash K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I Family Podcasts. Yeah, keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. <laughs> Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we need your help. <laughs> Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. All right. Thank you, Dad. All right, we'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me.